Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Now tell me about movie. Frozen. What happens? What happens to Elsa? She becomes a monster. Why is she a monster? People say that. Why do they say she's a monster? Because she... She made another monster, and because she ruined a whole entire, like, hotel. A hotel? Okay. And how'd she do that? With her ice powers. So with her ice powers, she ruined a place. And that's why they thought she was a monster? Uh-huh. Is there any other reason they thought she was a monster? Um, because she was acting one. Why, how was she acting like a monster? So, she used her powers against people, and that sort of makes it act like a monster. She was not being nice to other people. Why not? Because um, she got scared, um, and she accidentally been not nice to other people. Oh, because she was scared? Yes. Do you think there's any other reason she wasn't being nice? Because her father and mother were gone. Oh, so do you think that made her sad? Mm Mm-hmm. And scared, sad, scared. Wake up! Wake up! Have you heard the story of... And written on the wall... And everyone blood. has the different stories of, oh, this happened to my brother, this happened to my telling you stories of the old... Country. There was this girl. It was back when we were little kids. To find out the truth regarding one of the most enduring tales in American lore. A story behind the story. Because it's just a story. Hello and welcome to the Just A Story podcast. I'm Jake. And I'm Sam. And we're here to tell you a story. Each week we take a look at the stories we tell over and over again, what our myths and misdeeds, fears and fables say about us as humans. And this week we have our now annual kind of Christmas, winter, holiday episode. How about a Festivus episode? Yes. This is the Festivus episode? We're not talking about Festivus. But it's for the rest of us. I thought we were the rest of us. I'm going to have to scrap my notes, guys. I'll be back in just a minute. (laughs) No, 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 no. So, well, of course... You know, before we get into it, I want to thank everybody for coming back and always thankful for everybody leaving ratings and reviews. And you can reach out and contact us on our Twitter, Instagram, etc. Just Story Pod. Also, you can come to our website at JustStoryPod.com where you have lots and lots of fun information related to every episode. Or if you're feeling really chatty, need to get some things off your chest clear your conscience for the new year, whatever the case may be, you may call us on the Urban Legend Hotline, and that number is 512-222-3375. You can leave a voicemail. It's a three-minute cutoff, but if it cuts you off, call back. I can piece it together, I promise. And then just a reminder that we do have some great merchandise designed by Sam that you can get to on our website. What better thing to get people for last-minute Christmas shopping? 
Oh, everyone wants it. Uh, like your dad? I talked to your dad. He wants that shirt. He wants the comforter. Order him a comforter. Why'd you talk to their dad? Well, I was watching them the other day, you see, and their dad mm. came in in a fit of paranoia and started tearing things apart. And I said, wait, please don't. I'm a nice person who's watching your child sleep. And then he said, okay, let's talk then. And I said, I do a podcast. It's called Just Story. So that sounds awesome. And I said, so I was thinking that your kid would probably like to get you a throw for Christmas. And he's like, oh my God, that's exactly what I wanted. How'd you know? You have really weird fantasies. <laughs> it's not a fantasy. It's real life, man. Sure. And then also, if you're feeling extra generous during the season, you can help support the show on Patreon with links to that on our site. And so back to the story at hand, you know, we're, this is our special kind of winter Christmas episode. This will get you through the holiday travels. Yeah, and it'll make you feel better after you've spent two days with your in-laws listening to your brother-in-law's weird-ass gardening story or whatever. He loves lawn work way too much. Way, way too much. Everyone's got a passion. So today we're going to take you back to our favorite place. It is. It's, it's not mine. It, I, lo- I love to read about Russia, man. I love Russia. It. I love to read about Russia. I have no Russian lineage or anything close to it. There's just something about the unbridled terribleness <laughs> that I just enjoy so much. Life is dark and terrible. It's all making sense. We're going to bring you a tale from Russia. So the oldest version of the tale of the Snow Maiden is set in a distant Russian village because all Russian villages are distant, it seems. And there are a pair of peasants named Akim and Masha. And they're very, very happy. Except for the reason that all sweet old peasant couples are unhappy. And having read as much Greek mythology and things as you have, do you know what reason that might be? God, what did Zeus do this time? Oh, no, no, no. Different reason, different reason. It's biblical, too. Because they didn't have a sweet child to love. Yes, always. And so they would sit in their hut and stare out their window, look out their little peasant window with the little peasant children playing in the snow and think warm thoughts about how lovely and happy all of the children were. And one day the lovely, happy peasant children were building snowmen because that's what you do in Russia. And Akim looked up at his wife and said, laughing, Masha, what do you say to coming out in the road and making ourselves a snowman or a snowwoman like those little boys yonder? Masha laughed, too. It seemed such a queer thing to do at this time of life. Yes, if you like, she replied, let us go. It may cheer us up a bit, but I don't see why we should make a snowman or woman. Let us rather make a child out of snow. Providence does not seem to wish us to have a real one. I do believe you are getting quite clever in your old age, Masha. Come along then. Let us set to work. Or senile. Whatever. <laughs> this is the cutest version of senility ever. Building snowmen together. It's adorable. So they built a child out of snow. As they were putting the finishing touches on it, holes for eyes, a little nose, a little cute nose, they bent down low to the child and it suddenly warmed their faces with its breath. And then they looked back and there were two beautiful eyes where the holes had been. And they were bright blue, of course. And then the snow falls away and they see that their creation has become a beautiful little girl. And Masha says, oh, my little snow maiden, my little darling. And she grew very rapidly, like by the hour, not by the day, and soon became a graceful, beautiful girl. And everyone loved her. And then funny thing happened. What's that? Spring came. Oh, that's not going to be good. I saw Frosty. 
And as the snow begins to thaw and melt and things become green again, the inverse sort of starts taking place with the snow maiden. She's sort of withering and wilting and she seems very unhappy and withdrawn and she just wants to stay inside out of the sun. She's happy when it rains and sort of just the opposite of the natural moods that are associated with the seasons. Poor snow maiden. Yeah, she has like the inverse of seasonal affective disorder. Well, I guess it still is seasonal. And so one day, St. John's Day, apparently, summer equinox, all of the other girls from the village come and say, snow maiden, come and celebrate with us. It is the summer solstice and we should make merry. She doesn't want to go, but Masha encourages her to go with the others. And finally, she relents and goes to the party. She doesn't want her just staying home being a wallflower. And she says, be sure to look after her. She's the apple of my eye. I don't know what I would do if anything ever happened to her. Because foreshadowing has always been a thing. And they are out celebrating in the woods and they build a bonfire. Which is a thing we've talked about. People doing to celebrate things before. And all of the young men and women who are celebrating form lines to jump over the fire. Right, it's like think like traditions we talked about kind of on the Halloween episodes. Like they were using this to like ward off witches and get good luck and other different traditions. So they're they're getting their luck, they're warding off their witches, they're jumping the fire. And the snow maiden is reluctantly lined up to go, last in line, and then she disappears. Huh? She disappears. What do you mean she disappears? Well, at first they think she's just played a trick on them. That she's just disappeared off into the woods or gone home to her mother. She might be hiding somewhere, but they search and search and no one can find her. And we learn at the end of the story that she did not disappear by running away. She disappeared by melting and evaporating into the atmosphere. Oh my gosh. I love Russian stories. I love Russian. Everyone dies. Everyone dies and is sad. The end. So the snow maiden, this is the story of Snegoroshka. We're going to try really hard to pronounce these Russian names, right? We even... (laughs) Watched a bunch of YouTube Russian videos. And we're still going to probably do a really bad job, but we, we watched a commercial uh, that was advertising costumes for Christmas time. And we also watched a video produced by funrussian.com. Boy, was it fun. It was so much fun. But they have these commercials and costumes and videos about it because this character is very popular in Russia and Eastern Europe. And she is a seasonal figure, and she is kind of the assistant and granddaughter of the old man Frost Father Christmas character in Russia. What's his name? Well, you try. Dedmoros. One of the reasons it's so popular is they were allowed to celebrate with these characters during communism. Oh, okay, because they were not they were secular enough to get by. So they tied them to the New Year celebration. Which is just the calendar. They can't help that. Right. That has nothing to do with those terrible religions. Okay. Right. Right. Our calendar has nothing to do with terrible religions. Neither does the Julian calendar, which Russia still uses. Good luck with that math, everybody. But it's difficult to trace the origins of this story because it's from Russia. <laughs> Yes, and Russia was not big on collecting anything from low culture. Terrible. No, no, no. Those serfs. The aristocracy had no intentions of like promoting anything outside of their own legends. <laughs> Very true. So unlike in Germany and in France, there was not the movement to try to celebrate the Volk. Right, they didn't need nationalism. 
they had czars. You will love Russia, or you will go to Siberia. And be like, I miss Russia. Back where it was warm. So it's possible this is like an old Slavic myth, but it's also possible it's not at all. Mm. And could be related to a German myth. Oh, I like the German myth. What? What, what is it? The, the snow child? The snow child. It's so great. Can you give me two sentences? Okay, so a woman is home by herself while her husband is away for like two years. And he comes back and she's pregnant. Two years? Right. So hmm. Again, have fun with that math. And she's like, oh, I know. I know you weren't physically here to, to cause this condition, but I thought of you. While I was walking in the woods one day and a snowflake landed on my tongue and I uh, got pregnant. That's how it works, folks. Medicine. And he's like, all right, cool. I buy that. Sure. And then he goes out one day and he brings the child with him when he's grown up a little bit. And he, what is the most German thing he could possibly do? (laughs) Sacrifices him. No, no. Don't be silly. He sells him into slavery. Of course. (laughs) And he comes back and he tells his wife, meh, he melted. Oh, sick burn. So so he's a bit um, cold-hearted, one might say. Aww. Yeah. Yeah. But this story was collected in the 1850s and 60s by Alexander Nikolaevich Afazanayev. And he published an eight-volume series of folk tales. And they're based on an archived collection in the Russian Geographic Society of St. Petersburg. And these books were called The Poetic Outlook on Nature by the Slavs. Greatest title ever. And so this story was published in the second volume in 1869. And it became wildly popular. And some of the reasons for that is because it became a play by Alexander Ostrovsky, and that had music by... Tchaikovsky. Tchaikovsky. I knew that one. <laughs> Good job. And so he took the story of Snegoroshka and turned it into a play, and later that turned into a ballet and opera in its own right, correct? So the opera was called The Snow Maiden, a spring fairy tale, and it was first done in 1881, and it's by Nikolai Rimsky. Karoskov. And so there are lots of different versions of this tale roaming around Russia. One of the popular versions is the one that the opera is based on. And so in this story, it's quite different than the original tale. And in it, the snow maiden is the daughter of Father Frost and Mother Spring. That seems like it would be a tumultuous relationship. Right? Okay, so she has dueling natures, maybe. Definitely an element. And so she is isolated away, and she is a 15-year-old girl. She grows to like this young man named Lel. Good job with that pronunciation. Could do that. And he is this shepherd, and he sings beautiful songs, and she's kind of just more entranced by his singing. Okay. Well, it's an opera, so that makes sense. Right. There's nothing an opera likes to do better than to tell you how beautiful the singing in the opera is going to be or is. <laughs> Isn't this fantastic? So she is entranced by Lel, but there is another man in the story, Mizgir. But Mizgir is betrothed to another woman. Well, that won't do. But he sees the snow maiden and just falls head over heels for her. It's like he slipped on a patch of ice. And he begs the snow maiden to love him. Guess who does not like this development in the story? 
Oh, his betrothed. Yes. His betrothed. Yes, Kupava. And so his fiance is pissed and she goes to the czar. Good move. And tells the czar about this. Good move. The czars and czarinas like to matchmake. That's right. And so the czar is none too happy with him and first casts him out. But then he sees the snow maiden and he's kind of entranced by her beauty. And he asks her who she loves. And she says, no one. (gasps) But you're the romantic lead. You must love someone. No, the czar cannot believe this. Cannot believe that she can live without love. And so he declares that whoever can successfully get her hand and warm her frozen heart, not only will win her in marriage, but will also get a royal reward. Oh my God, this is the most paternalistic bullshit I've ever heard in my life, but we'll save those feelings for later. Russia. And also just opera in general. Yeah. I love opera. So, of course, all of the maidens in the village present Lel as the likely candidate. But Mizge states that he will win the snow maiden's heart. Now, as all good operas go, you only have so many characters on stage. True. <laughs> and Lel chooses another. Guess who he chooses? Kupava. Yes. I knew it. This is a soap opera. It is. And they're... Oh, they're, no. It's uh, a real opera. Oh, wait. <laughs> and they are madly in love. Suddenly. Suddenly. And the snow maiden sees this. And she's so sad that she cannot have this perfect love because her heart is made of ice. Oh, so it's like a physical preclusion. Well, she, she's kind of made of ice in general, of, of oh. snow. Okay. And so she goes to her mother. Mother Spring. I was about to say, it doesn't make sense for her to be completely made of ice because Mother Spring is not. Right, and she tells Mother Spring that she will do anything for love. She takes pity on her, takes a garland, and puts it around her head, and gives her the ability to love. But she also warns her that now she is mortal, and she must avoid the sun. SPF 75. So, Mizgar appears again, and she suddenly, with her garland and heart, declares her love for him. Who saw that coming? Yes. Who? And as they are to be brought together and betrothed, a great ray of sunshine appears. No. No sun in Russia. Stop it. And of course, being a Russian opera... She dies. She melts. Dies. Because her heart has been warmed. And Mezger is so distraught that he throws himself into the lake and drowns himself. (laughs) And as the entire town is sad, the Tsar reminds everyone that while this is a sad event, with the death of the Snow Maiden, the 15-year winter they have been having... It's like Game of Thrones level winter. Right? Winter is here. Forever. We just need to find the Snow Maiden and kill her off, and then we wouldn't need the wall anymore. So with the death of the Snow Maiden, their winter is over, and they can now rejoice in the warmth of the sun and love, and etc. And they sing a happy Russian song. <laughs> and it's like hair. Kind of. Like everyone's just like out in the field, like jazzed about the sun and flowers and shit. And so this is kind of one of the more common versions of the story around because of the opera. But also there is a absolutely beautiful 1952 Russian cartoon about it. Right. It's very much in line with Disney animation. It's feature length animation. It tends toward realism. And I can happily report to you that they did not mince any plot points 
in the making of that cartoon, everybody it's dies. All there. Everybody dies. All there. There's a suicide in the basically Disney movie. But it's it's beautiful. We'll put a link on the website. It's available on YouTube and with English captions. Thank God. Because my Russian's not that good. And by not that good, I mean non-existent. So we have the story just... Can you talk about those kind of... This is so patriarchal. I mean, it's just that old school idea. And those old operas of just the very basic ideas of like... A woman being cold and having to have her heart warmed to be able to love. And she just needs the right suitor. It is is sexual awakening. And it's also really interesting to me that you have the mother figure initiating her and like preparing her for her wifely role. Even giving her a garland of flowers. Yeah. Declaring her fit to love, ready to go out into the world and choose a mate. But I do think it's good that we have the mother there instead of the father. Maybe thank you mythology for that. Well, like you said, those kind of just old ideas of women in Russia is very different. Dude, they like they believed women were capable of some shit. Like, I mean, I'm not saying it was great. I'm not saying they were, you know, feminist before feminist or anything of that nature. But they definitely didn't think women were less than. Women ruled Russia. And they really did rule Russia. That was not just like, oh, there happens to be a lady there. Like, even after communism took hold, even in Soviet Russia, women held high positions. Women... We're in the military. We're in the military. In active combat roles. It's... Like it, like famous uh, sniper. Oh, I didn't know there was a famous female sniper. I really uh, didn't. Yeah, after her brother died and she took up... Yeah, she took it up and she was... I don't remember her name. It's a great story. She's like beautiful and she probably killed like 100, 100 Germans or whatever. Unfortunately, the idea of the ice queen, snow queen, ice maiden, what have you has been preserved and is around today in pop culture. Cold-hearted woman? Oh, like a cold-hearted woman. Now, an ice queen is defined in the Farlex Dictionary of Idioms as pejorative. I love that word. In parentheses. A coolly composed, unemotional woman without affection, warmth, or feeling. I mean, like I said, I immediately go to just these old blues songs, those cold-hearted women. Ooh, man, just making you, giving you the blues. Okay. So so what are some of some of those gems? Oh, there's some good ones. Let's see, uh, ooh, you got a cold, cold heart. You got ice right up in your veins. I love you like an angel. Treat you like a queen. But you only care for yourself, baby. Might as well leave you alone. <laughs> I'll say another one, another one. And this one's called Cold Woman with a Warm Heart. <laughs> Albert King. If you got a woman that's cold, nine times out of ten, she can't be stole. If you got a woman that's hot as fire, you can wave your woman bye-bye. If she's hot, she knows she's hot. Then you can't please her with what you got. <laughs> so I like my cold-hearted woman. <laughs> maybe a touch. Maybe a tad. Maybe a smidge. My mind automatically, when I hear Ice Queen, goes to, In anger, unkind words are said that make the teardrops start. Why can't I free your doubtful mind and melt your cold, cold heart? There was a time when I believed that you belonged to me, but now I know your heart is shackled to a memory. The more I learn to care for you, the more we drift apart. Why can't I free your doubtful mind and melt your cold, cold heart? And that's by poet Hank Williams. Senior. <laughs> Senior. Oh, we got to keep going through time. Yeah. 
Of course we do. It's like, oh, oh, foreigner. Foreigner. Digging for gold. Throwing away. Fortune and feelings. Someday you'll pay. You're as cold as ice. Willing to sacrifice our love. You want paradise. But someday you'll pay the price. I know. And you're welcome. You can sing that for the rest of the day because it's going to be stuck in your head. And then you've got, of course, the Rolling Stones. Nobody will know when you're old. When you're old, nobody will know that you are a beauty, a sweet, sweet beauty, a sweet, sweet beauty, but stone, stone cold. You're so cold. You're so cold, cold, cold. Like an ice cream cone. <laughs> like a tombstone, like an ice cream cone. They come up with some really good uh, similes in that song. It is a song of, of fantastic similes, that one. The drugs will do for you. Drugs make you do similes. But okay, I mean, lots of cold-hearted women in songs. Oh, yes. Giving men the blues for ages. That's present in other media. Yeah, I mean, it's a big trope. It is. So it's a major character archetype. Women who are perceived to be ice queens is generally the term that's associated with this phenomenon. Are cold-hearted. They have a frosty demeanor. She constantly attracts attention and suitors, but she's never truly going to be won over. And when men are scorned by a beautiful woman who they perceive as being cold and unfeeling, they are liable to call her an ice queen. Of course. I mean, if she was a normal chick, I mean, she would have gone home with me. Do you want to talk about that? Do you want to talk about how fucked up that is just for a second? Because I I do. Sure. Okay. Like, I hate this idea. This leads me into the thinking of, like, friend zoning people and, like, this expectation and entitlement that is so persistent in culture. Like, oh my God, I was nice to her and she's just stupid. So she doesn't love me. Like if she, if she won't accept this affection, she is somehow broken. And I think of this cartoon I saw like a million years ago online that says the friend zone does not exist. Women are not machines. You put kindness into until sex falls out. I've been doing this all wrong. You have. <laughs> no, I, I think this entire trope leads to that sort of abdication of responsibility like oh it couldn't possibly be you you're right it's totally her all right it's just one more excuse and that leads to this other trope that's so so present in so many forms of media and that is defrosting the ice queen yeah you have to actively defrost them when someone proves that they're truly in love with her or they truly care she will soften and melt and learn to love yeah i didn't see this in anything we read but i thought of like taming of the shrew I don't think she's an ice queen. I think she's just a shrew. (laughs) An ice shrew? She's an ice shrew. I think that word taming is so indicative of how that action is different. It's not a warming. It's not a drawing out. It's a putting in. But he kills her with kindness. He puts kindness in the machine and gets (laughs) sex out. (laughs) Maybe it's just the ultimate friend zone victory then. I don't know. Within the category of the ice queen, you basically have mm, anything you could call a woman who is not automatically super jazzed you exist. You have the alpha bitch. We have to make a Mean Girls reference. (laughs) Apparently, we've gone from like doing a Seinfeld reference every episode to Mean Girls reference every episode. Although we did both last episode. (laughs) We did both this episode too. Yes. All right, we're back on track. I'm happy. I'm happy. But yeah, so I mean like, you're mean girl. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like, no, you can't sit with us. On Wednesdays, we wear pink. Things of that nature. And then you have the Baroness. And she's cold, ruthless, 
utterly sadistic inside, no matter how warm and soft she may appear. And I think that they are like referencing like the Elizabeth Bathory's of fiction. Whether or not Elizabeth Bathory was of fiction, we can t- talk about on another episode. Bathed in blood. Yeah, no, she didn't. But everything else is true. And then there's the broken bird with a hard exterior who protects a broken interior, afraid that she'll be hurt again. Oh, she just needs a little tending, a little love. We can fix her. Yeah, just throw up in her mouth and she's all yours. Quote, no. <laughs> broken baby bird. Is- and then you have the emotionless girl. And she doesn't warm to anyone. But maybe, just maybe, someone can come and rekindle her inner flame. And then you have, like, the snarky types. One of my favorites is the Snark Knight, um, which is my new Twitter handle. It's not, but it should be. I'm the Snark Knight. You think I'm kidding. Like, I'm getting all my pillows monogrammed. Knowing that this is such a pervasive catch-all for basically anyone who doesn't like you. I think of, uh, I mean, recently, like, Hillary Clinton. Oh, my God. Yeah, poor Hillary. And she's called Ice Queen constantly. And then people be like, she's just all over the place. She's just laughing her head off. And, like, you, you just can't win. Right? Like, that's the thing that drives me so crazy about these sorts of tropes about women is that they are so categorical and so broad that there's no escaping them. Right. But with that, you can see how frequently it's used with, like, powerful women. Oh, absolutely. And that's a major place that you will find this thrown around is in the workplace. So in Forbes, they talked about problems for women in the workplace. And one of the things that they listed is this idea of the ice queen. Hallie Bach, a CEO of leadership and development training for the company Fierce, notes that the ruthless ice queen stereotype is rampant. Cultural depictions like the frigid magazine editor Miranda Priestley in The Devil Wears Prada and her real-world counterpart Anna Wintour of Vogue and backstabbing bosses like Patty Hughes and Damages paint successful women as unsympathetic power mongers. It's, of course, a catch-22. A woman who shows emotion in the workplace is often cast as too fragile or unstable to lead, Bach said. A woman who shows no emotion and keeps it hyper-professional is icy and unfeminine. For many women, it can be a no-win situation. Again, it's just something else used as an excuse. I think essentially, at its most basic level, the term ice queen is a pejorative word that you get to use whenever someone doesn't like you. It's not just in the workplace. Any woman who is seen as not fulfilling her societal obligations or assigned roles can very quickly be cast as an ice queen. Right. So what's our other uh, sphere that women can be in? The domestic sphere, of course. Of course. What more terrible thing could a woman in the domestic sphere do than to be an ice queen to her child? Well, that sounds like it's going to do some lasting damage and pay Freud's electricity bill for the next... Oh, wait, Freud, I don't even know if Freud had an electricity bill. Sure. How else do you think he ran his hysteria treating machine? Steam. (laughs) Steam powered. It was warm, too. (laughs) So this is something, and we've kind of talked about this a little in the past. It's something called avoidant attachment pattern. And so this was pushed forward by Mary Ainsworth, and she was a researcher in the 70s. And she looked at the nature of a child's attachment to their mother. The mother? Yes, the mother. The mother is the reason for everything. If it's not one thing, it's your mother, as so many cute little Freudian t-shirts say. 
But the nature of the child's attachment to their mother is very crucial in shaping how they relate to others later in life. So if you were to have a dismissive parent mm. who's generally kind of unresponsive to a newborn. Remember, this is talking about babies, ba- bitty you, babies. I was thinking children, like babies. Okay. If you were unresponsive to your newborn, emotionally unavailable, distant and withdrawn, and averse to close bodily contact and physical warmth, this can leave the infant's bid for such essential nurturance as routinely frustrated. Oh, God. Routinely frustrated. I can't imagine what that would be like. And then they can also act in kind of the inverse, as in when the child wants alone time as being more exploring, that they can go and intervene. Okay, well, I think that is a really... Okay, I'm going to get technical here. I think that's something that we would call a damned if you do and damned if you don't scenario. And so kids develop what she calls a reactive counter-dismissal. So since this kind of separateness and autonomy are strongly favored and the dependency is annoying and antagonizing and deserving of rejection... They cling to the idea that they need to be independent. This is babies. Babies are doing this. Those cold calculating babies sitting around in strategy meetings all day. So how she developed this theory is really interesting. What she did was she would take a parent and a kid and she would ask them about their kind of relationship at home and observe them. And then she would do different things. There would be different scenarios Mm. to where the mom would leave the kid alone in the room. Or the mom would leave the kid with a stranger. And she would look and see how the child reacts when the mom leaves. But this was scripted, right? These weren't just parents, like, actually act, you know, like walking out and leaving their kids because they felt like it. Like, that's not what she was testing. No, she was going like, okay, you leave. Okay, now you leave. Okay. I'm going to be in here. My, like, TA is going to be in here. Okay, yeah. <laughs> My grad student is going to be in here. And she looked at the reaction to kids as the parent left And as they came back. So how the children behaved in response to their parents leaving and coming back. Yes. And that is the basis for this theory. I just want to come in here. I'm sorry. I'm getting so technical today. I think that that is mm, technically hogwash. I think it's hogwash. I think it's a really poor way to test it. I've had two children start daycare. You still have them. Yes, I do still have them. They are still around, which I think means I'm winning at the mothering game. Pretty much. When I started leaving each of them at daycare, they both responded in drastically different ways. And if anything, I spent more time doting on the first one, who was the one that screamed and freaked out, you know, because I had nothing else going on. And with the second one, I was very involved in her infancy, but she was also going through a lot of procedures and stuff like that. And she was totally cool. Like, I dropped her off at daycare the first day, and she said, bye, mama, and, like, walked off. That kid acts like she owns the place. She does. She's two. <laughs> and Remy tried to die when it I left her. Does. Yeah, every day. And that is some of the criticism to this, is that it, it completely does not look at personality. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you as a pediatrician, babies have personality. They have temperament. There's a certain way a baby's going to act, and that is a, there's a genetic component to that. I mean, they come out acting like that. It is very early that you see that. I mean, four months. Mm-hmm. I mean, you see it earlier, but like four months, you can really tell. This is going to be an easygoing kid, 
Uh, this is gonna be this like neurotic ball neurotic of care. crazy that like we realized. that we have one of each. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And so you spoke of the mother, Zimezer. And so this is kind of a retreading of Freud's ideas. Freud, you yes. Say? Okay. And his key defenses of repression and denial. So for babies who can develop strategies that allay this painful awareness of their mother's frequently dismissive stance toward them, can at the same time reduce their disquieting and anxiety-laden emotions about such keenly felt rejections. But this study just takes it like a step further. <laughs> And makes it like this baby has this logical processing. I'm telling you, they're sitting around in the strange love war room. Like all the babies get together and they have their milk and they're sucking on pacifiers instead of stogies. Maybe one baby has a stogie. He's edgy. And they're talking about like, okay, so my mom, last night I cried. Cried for like two minutes. And she was like still waking up when she came in my room. Had sleep in her eyes, hair a mess, did not even put herself together before she came to see about me. And I'm not having this shit. I've had enough. And I think it's time we as the babies come together and decide once and for all that we're not going to take it. So you know what? I'm going to ignore her too. Because I'm a vindictive baby. Vindictive baby. And logical. So psychologists like to extrapolate that this kind of scenario can come all the way into adulthood Hmm. and lead us to just have these avoidant attachment personalities where we are more independent and where we... Fear of commitment. Fear of commitment and it's all the mother's fault and it's related to her not loving you enough and this is why you can't... Or too much. Or too much. And this causes your problems today. And we'll need to do psychoanalysis for the next year at $150 an hour. (laughs) Every week. Twice a week. I need to see my analyst before I can commit to that. I have friends that are Freudian analysts. I wish I was a Freudian analyst. It's it's like my daydream job. Like we talked about, this completely negates any kind of just personality, any kind of genetic traits that are there. You know, there are studies showing that these responses are different in babies that have different temperaments it all came out Hmm. kind of in response to this yeah i mean we've got real world experience and it also relies on this one person being an attachment figure kind of forgetting that a lot of children have a network of people doesn't Mm -hmm. look at siblings it doesn't look at fathers it doesn't look at caregivers grandma daycare workers etc that can all provide this attachment just looks at one person and <laughs> the mother. It's, the like, mother. it's all your fault, Sam. I got it. It's fine. And then it also completely ignores that we have development the rest of our lives. No, yes, no, no. Yes. That's just hogwash. And that we have other attachments throughout our peer groups and our social groups and through our adolescence and through our early relationships. And that those can affect how we act. Wait, those count? They really do. They go on our permanent record? And so, I do want to have a caveat to this. I think it's hogwash. Everything else, all Ainsworth's theories. But there is something called the toxic environment. And I, yeah. And so that's something where it is the most extreme of what we're talking about. I mean, this is... Neglect. Complete neglect. I mean, true, true neglect. You get the kids taken away. They're not being fed. Things like that. And that truly, that true, true neglect... Not just like you cried for a few minutes and you didn't come give them a hug. That can lead to true problems in adulthood. 
and actually causes a actual physical rewiring of the brain. Well, I mean, it could have to do with everything from lack of nutrition to, like, not sleeping properly, not being able to rest. Well, like, no, no, it, no, no. So it's, it's, it's directly related to that kind of, like, fear response and okay. that, that concern for, you know, nutrition and are you going to be in the same place and a safe environment. And it truly does affect the actual structure of the brain and does affect how people act in adulthood. But again, that's the extreme, extreme cases. It doesn't that's, mean... That's abuse. Th- yeah, no. I, and I, abuse, we've said on this show a bajillion times that abuse does have lasting consequences for the rest of your life. That's so different than like, your parenting style was a little off and therefore your kid is never going to have a healthy relationship. Right. Those people may not be able to have healthy relationships yeah. and they may have kind of more antisocial personality disorder and things like that. But it's a different story. Okay, so if you have the good fortune to avoid an ice queen in the workplace and the good fortune to not have an ice queen as a mother, you might still come across one. On Tinder? Yeah, if you're lucky. Very, very lucky. Well, I didn't have to go on Tinder to find my ice queen. No, you're just lucky. I want everyone to know that this is said quite lovingly and it's not actually said, it's repeated because I say it and he's just repeating it. And so, you know, I was I was concerned that I, I've been married and dating an ice queen for going on 13 years. Yeah. Lucky. So I went to the best source of information ever to mm. try to find out what I should do about this. Did you Google it? I Googled it. And I found an article called Ways to Tell if You Were Dating an Ice Princess on Primer by Megan McLaughlin. And oh, so this is a woman. So it's probably not going to be that insulting, right? Like, it's probably, like, she's got my back. You would think. Primer is the best source for aspiring gentlemen. That's what it says on their website, at least. Oh, good to know. I'm going to peruse the rest of their articles once I'm done completely processing this bullshit. Um, so I found out some warning signs. Okay, let's, let's hear them. Let's see. Diagnostic she, criteria, yes, if, that's if you what will. this is. This is very scientific. Okay. She never smiles. When she does, it looks forced. So she never really smiles. So you can tell that. Yeah, because it looks like she sat on a wet rag. Oh. That's what it says. Oh. <laughs> the only person who's ever told me to smile and gotten away with it is Dolly Parton in Steel Magnolias when she says, smile, it increases your face value. And I will, because Dolly Parton is magic and she does make me smile. Thank you, Dolly. But no, I hate it when people say, smile, smile. Oh, you're so much prettier when you, you smile. smile. So I think I have that warning sign. All right, Sam, so one checkbox for you. Yeah. You only have an evil smile. That's not true. I smile at Dolly Parton, puppies, and my children. Murder. No, I don't smile at murder. I raise one eyebrow in concern. So she becomes like wallpaper around your friends. She's very self-involved and has her nose in the air. Wait, why does... I'm sorry, I'm back to the wallpaper thing. Like, what does that mean, wallpaper around your friends? So, there's like a difference between shy and snooty. Oh, is there? Yes. How do you tell the difference? Her, her nose is literally in the air, apparently. So, so, if you are around someone's friends and you happen to raise your chin, you're done. Shy and snooty. 
How do you tell? Like, I, I really do want to know how one is supposed to tell the difference between the two. I feel like this is giving someone a lot of license to read into anything. That's what a lot of this is. Okay. So let's see. She has more enemies than friends. And if she doesn't have any friends at all, that's definitely a red flag. How could she possibly have friends if she's just wallpaper? She probably has a really hard time meeting people, and you should judge her as harshly as possible. She often retreats to her fortress of solitude. Which is made of ice, which is great. Dating freaking Superman. I mean, that's cool. I'll go there. Let's go to this fortress of solitude. Well, why is that bad? Like, I don't see any reason that wanting to be alone. I mean, that's just an introvert. Right. A lot of this is just an introvert. <laughs> so let's see. This one like doesn't make any sense. Who's passive aggressive. Okay, that, that doesn't fit with the rest of the things that we're saying here. So in theory, she's just withdrawn all the time. Passive aggressive is like you're going to get the blow up eventually, right? Like they don't tell you that they're getting mad and then suddenly they are mad. Again, you don't get that kind of show of emotion from an ice queen. Right. And here's another one that doesn't fit. When she does speak up, it's dramatic. And look, this woman literally writes this. You wonder if she's always on the rag. On the rag? Right. Like, David Allen Coe is the only other person that says that. <laughs> it's so bad. Maybe Donald Trump. Yeah. Yeah, again, that doesn't fit. She's writing about one person she doesn't like. Right. I know. I thought that too. <laughs> did you really? Because I didn't say that before. I really did. She uses sexuality as a carrot. She knows she's attractive and knows how to use it. Oh, I don't like that idea. I don't like that we're putting that idea out there as a marker of a negative personality trait. And I don't like that we're letting people read into sexuality that way. Because it's like anytime anyone tells you no, you're like, you're using that to manipulate me. Like the trope, you know, oh, well, you, you're an ice queen because you don't want to go home with me. Yeah. You're an ice queen because you didn't have sex with me, and earlier I made you really angry, and now you're just manipulating me to not do the thing I did that made you really angry ever again. And here's another great use of metaphor. Oh, again? She's never actually happy, even when she gets her way. She doesn't see a glass as half empty or half full. She just sees a glass. What the hell does that even mean? Poetry. No. No, it's not. If I am unable to perceive liquid if i just can't see liquid like some people can't see all the colors <laughs> i am like, an ice queen it's like if you're not can't be an optimist or a pessimist and i feel like ice cream would just be an eternal pessimist like no i'm not going to talk to you because you set off one warning bell and therefore just not worth the risk you're not worth the risk i think that ice queens tend to be like, in reality, if you're trying to construct any kind of meaningful personality profile from this idea, it would be like they tend to be a little paranoid, like a little world-weary and skeptical. Might have their guard up a little bit. That's okay. It doesn't make you a terrible person. God, I hope not, because I am so, I'm so bad. If that's true, <laughs> I have all the guards up. I mean, then you have that idea that you could, you could defrost them. I don't want to be defrosted. Defrost with kindness. I don't want to be defrosted. I'll melt. But it seems like this is just such a matter of perception. I mean, just like you were saying, it's like, oh, well, I mean, this could just be an introvert. This could just be someone with their guard up. And someone that's not all just happy, smiley. Like, I mean, there's no one I hate more than fake happy smiley and like i said i do think that this is something that is used to perpetuate that sense of entitlement that creates problems for women in so many scenarios this is 
absolutely like oh I'm about to go so feminist y'all hold on Ice Queen is a myth perpetuated by the patriarchy <laughs> but it is it's- because us men gather in our war room when the babies are done with it <laughs> when the babies say you can that's when you can have it. Yes, I mean that one with the cigars. He's a dick. And <laughs> once they let us in, we all gather together and we decide on things. No, like one of the things I always have a problem I have with that term is it makes it sound like it's like a unit or like it's like a it's like a group that's like gathering together and deciding things. When truly it's a societal problem. And this is something that's like perpetuated in media and perpetuated in music and perpetuated in the news, especially recently. No, I mean, I know that you are not going to a war room instead of your fantasy baseball league. I know you're going to see Spider-Man 3. I do feel like this is a ready-made excuse for anyone who wants to strip women of agency. It is a resentment of women's agency. It is a personification of the animosity that people feel toward women when they express a disparate set of opinions or desires from your own. No, I I agree. I agree. I mean, it's definitely used as an excuse, and it's definitely something that's perpetuated by just society and media in general. Well, interestingly enough, there are studies on temperature and perception and how we read people based on our physical surroundings. So there's a study done in which a group of researchers who science for a living... I like to science. ...decided to test the idea that touching something warm versus touching something cold would affect how we perceived others. To test their hypothesis about the importance of temperature, research assistants casually ask... That the undergraduate test subjects, oh no, those are those are the college sophomores, briefly hold either a warm cup of coffee or iced coffee. I like to science with coffee. I do do. I like to anything with coffee. As they wrote down information about a profile, personality profile that they'd been given. The subjects were given a packet of information about an individual and then asked to assess his or her personality traits. The participants who assessed this person as significantly warmer had previously held the warm cup of coffee rather than the iced cup of coffee. On the personality scales unrelated to the trait of warmth, researchers found no difference in how the participants who held iced versus hot coffee responded. So just by having the, holding an iced cup of coffee, you can see someone as cold. Yes. Science. Science. The ice queen is just a story. We've done it. We've proven it. Well. Oh, no. I hate when you will. Let me tell you a story. Okay. This is someone I would consider a true, honest to God, ice queen. Oh, boy. You mean Elsa? No. Well, let's talk about Elsa for a second, because I don't think we can talk about ice queens and not mention Frozen. Like, I just don't feel like that's fair. Like I said, the Disney animated film Frozen. Yes. I quite enjoy Frozen. Yeah, it's good. Kids love it. Great songs. Our two-year-old sings Let It Go like a boss. So I think Elsa's actually a really interesting character, especially coming from Disney. Disney has a, a long history of perpetuating this idea of women as needing to be rescued. And that's sort of what princesses do. They sort of need to be rescued. Damsels in distress. Yes. Which, to be fair, the fairy tales they were using. Oh, I mean, it's not like they came up with a source material. but And, you know, it's gotten progressively better over time. But when we see... 
Anna and Elsa in the film Frozen, they truly do have agency. And it's very refreshing to see. But Elsa is an interesting character because she is not given a love interest in the film. She's allowed to be an ice queen. And there's a lot of writing online about her actually being a presentation of an asexual character or perhaps a character with a divergent or alternative sexuality. And I think that's really interesting. But she's also kind of a counterpoint to you know years and years of good girls as main characters in the Disney films. Like she says in her moment, in her song, the perfect girl is gone. She's got a little edge to her. A little edge. And she's like, she may actually be dealing with some serious mental health issues. Like she has things that are like very close to panic attacks. And she has like rage she can't control. And she has a lot of repressed emotions and, you know, tries so hard to work through this guilt she feels about almost killing her sister that one time. And it's also related to her parents. Yes. Telling her to suppress emotions. Don't let them in, don't let them see, etc. But she moves through being an ice queen, not by someone loving her, you know, in a romantic sense. It's not the male hero that breaks it down. It's kind of forgiveness for that experience she had that maybe Anna didn't even hold a grudge about. But, you know, she gets that moment of her character is allowed to move forward after sort of compensating for that moment. Uh, That's her turn. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think it's interesting, too, that they do incorporate the ideas of some of these more traditional folk tales with frozen hearts and her not wanting people to love, not understanding love or putting it in a high position of importance. You even have this adorable snowman melting in the summer. Olaf, he's like the snow child. He's like the snow maiden. He's like, is he? He is. He's just got a cute song. It's comical relief. But it does definitely draw on that history of repression of emotion, meaning a literal coldness. But it sort of subverts it as well because that is how she expresses emotion. Right. And she learns to control it and use it in an appropriate way. I, I mean, I was just, I don't think we can talk about Ice Queens and not talk about her a little because she's such an interesting character. Well, let me tell you about another interesting character. Okay. So you didn't mean Elsa? No. You didn't. Okay. Let's go back to Russia. Oh, no. So this is a story about Anna Ivanovna. She was born in 1692, and she was the daughter of Tsar Ivan V, who was also called Ivan the Ignorant. Oh, good moniker. And he was also Ivan the Imbecile. Oh, it didn't get better. It oh, didn't get better. I don't think he was called that, but he was an, he was like what they would call an imbecile at the time, like a moron. Where all these terms come from is like these royal family members that would have serious mental and physical disabilities related to all of the inbreeding going oh, on. Classy. Okay. So Ivan kind of just performed these kind of ceremonial functions. And the real leader... You're like, go get the village idiot, put him in the robe, trot him out. Kind of. And the real leader of all the Russias was... Was it Peter? Was it Peter the Great? The greatest. The greatest of the greatest of all the Russias? And he was Anna's uncle, and he was the Kozar. So by Kozar, you mean Tsar. <laughs> he ran the show. Yeah. Without a doubt. And so Anna herself was illiterate. Really? Uneducated. Hmm. And quite ugly. <laughs> According to whom? Everyone. 
Thomas Carlyle described her cheeks as Westphalian ham. Oh, God. Supposedly had terrible manners, had a really odd personality, was very grim. She originally was set to marry Frederick William, the Duke of Courland, in 1710. And she was just smitten with him. And she wrote sweet love letters, I can't wait to see you again, etc. They did get married. And a little after they were married, Peter... The greatest. The greatest. Staged a celebration in their honor. Oh, sweet of him. In this celebration, he had a mock dwarf wedding. I'm sorry. Go back. Go back. Roll the tape back. What? What did he have? What What was it? So at this feast, the dwarfs sat at miniature tables in the center of the room. My oh full-size my. guest watched them from tables at the sides. And the ugly, older, hunchback dwarves with huge bellies and short, crooked legs tried to dance and fell down and engaged in brawls as the onlookers laughed and laughed. I can't... Uh- First of all, how long did it take to gather up a community of dwarves of that size? Well, since Peter the Great had plans to breed dwarves. No, he also bred giants, which is a different story. He had uses for everyone. It's like an early form of communism. So he had a dwarf farm. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> yes, he did. What a colonist town. And so he went out and he was like bent down very low and, and called them. Did he have a special dwarf call? He did. He totally did. And he said, Ollie, Ollie, Oxen, three. And they all came. And then he said, okay, now you're each going to have parts to play. Were they like... No, so they were. They were like caricatures of the royal court. Because he hated the royal court. And he did. He did. He hated everyone. It was just this parody. You know, they were all in this western dress that the court liked to wear. Oh, I don't know if the court so much liked to wear it. As they were mandated to wear it. Peter the Great was real big on Western culture, and he was trying to westernize Russia and get respect for his nation, for all the Russias in the rest of the nations. And he knew in order to do that, he had to kind of get rid of some of this barbaric Slavic influence and really update them. And, you know, that starts with wardrobe. You don't dress for the role and culture that you have. You dress for the role and culture that you want to have. And that's why you wear a Batman outfit all the time. It is why I wear a Batman outfit all the time. Don't know why anyone would wear anything different. But Peter did not just stop with setting trends. No, this is no Louis situation we have going on here. Quite different than the Sun King. He actually outlawed the Cossack hat. That's like the Russian hat. Yes. Yes. That and beards had to go. No more and beards? Yes. This is terrible. This is un-Russian, isn't it? This <laughs> is making Russia great again, okay? Went by bringing culture and learning and making everyone go to the opera and the ballet. Okay, maybe he was not doing the same thing at all. So her new husband, Frederick William, he liked to drink. Did he? And so throughout his wedding and the dwarf wedding, which I assume they had smaller portions, I don't know. I don't think the, the full-size people had smaller portions, just... The dwarves. I don't think anybody did. No. He he drank and he drank and he drank and he even had a drinking contest with Peter the Great. And as we all know, Peter the Great didn't get his name by... Not winning drinking contest. No, sir. No, sir. He didn't. He didn't have a hat. Didn't have a beard. Had to do something well. He had a 
propensity for winning drinking contests. And so Frederick William fell ill after all this drinking and died two months later. How much do you have to drink to die two months later? I don't know if he really died of that, but that's what everything says. So Anna was heartbroken and she begged Peter to allow her to remarry. And he he didn't? No, of course not. But he did send over his large steward, Peter Bestuzov Lumen. And he gave him three tasks to help govern Corland. Okay. To inform the Tsar, of course. Uh. And to be Anna's lover. <laughs> oh, but she had cheeks like hams. This was no favor. Oh, it was a favor. Oh. oh he was taking one for the team. Oh. No, I meant it was no favor for him to be like, and you can be her lover. It was like, uh, oh, can I? Can I really? Thanks. So, you know, she just became very bitter throughout all of this. And in 1730, we have the 14-year-old Peter II die, Ooh. leaving very few proper successors. So the Privy Council offered the throne with very limited power to Anna. They had her sign several documents stating things like she couldn't tax people, she couldn't marry, she couldn't declare successors. Oh, and that was a big thing. That was a cool deal that you got to do if you were the czar of all the Russias. Right. And so the noble court was not having these restrictions. And they put together a little coup. A little coup d'etat. They gave Anna the throne. And the Privy Council was either or executed or sent to Siberia. All of the above. Okay. Some one, some the other. Okay. That's how you do it in Russia. And so she became... The Empress and Zarina of all the Russias. All the Russias. All the Russias. One of her first acts was to restore the secret search chancellery. Are these like spies? Kind of. Are these are these Russian spies? Right, they're like the KGB almost. Like they basically were just there to support the Zarina, and like if you said a word against her, <gasps> she was like the the Queen of Hearts. From, from Alice in Wonderland. Off with their heads. So, with that being one of her first acts, she also helped expand serfdom, and in, in 1736 declared all workers of industrial enterprises property of their owners. Oh, Anna. Oh, if you only knew what the fallout was going to be later. See, the Anastasia episode. Oh. It's just, she was such a nut. She also <laughs> was an enthusiastic hunter and kept, kept a rifle by her window so she could blast away at birds at all hours of the day whenever she felt the urge. <laughs> oh, I've got that bird urge again. <laughs> she let wild animals loose in Petarov Park so that she could go hunting. She also had a penchant for court jesters, Dwarves, cripples, freaks, oddities, etc. Whatever terrible phrases they used back then. In another life, she would have been P.T. Barnum. Right. She would have the fire bells rung throughout St. Petersburg just to watch the panic. No! No, that's like Nero-level shit. Yes. And she was also a big matchmaker. She thought it was fun to, like, match people up and force them to be married and rematch people up and force them to be married. 
So she'd be like, you're done. You're done being married now. I think I'll just have... She, she was like moving people around a board. It's like the beginning of Clash of the Titans. Okay, so she would... Would she make people divorce just randomly? Oh, yeah. She'd just be like, I know y'all are going to be married. That does not amuse me. <laughs> are you not amused? So one person that she had a real problem with... Bless their hearts. Prince Mikhail. He had the audacity to fall in love and marry a Catholic Italian woman. That won't do. No. That won't do. She just hated this idea. I mean, she was just so against like the ideas of love and marriage and really hated Catholics. That's spicy. And so his wife actually died a short time after. Oops. And she took Prince Mikhail and turned him into a court jester. No, you can't do that. All the rushes. Okay. I have a feeling it just gets worse. I have I have a feeling. She would make him pretend to be a chicken. Oh my god. And sit on a nest of eggs and pretend to lay them when visitors came. How do you get an enthusiastic performance? Like that's what I can't <laughs> imagine. I like All the rushes. Can imagine nothing more depressing than seeing a man half heartedly pantomiming egg laying. Cluck cluck. Alright, here's your egg. <laughs> Like, did he even have a naturally jocular humor? No one in Russia does. It's a trick question. <laughs> trick question. If we only had a time machine. This is why we need a chronovisor. I would watch this channel all day. So this was not enough embarrassment for her. Of him. Of him. Okay. She needed to embarrass him more. So in 1739, she ordered the construction of an ice palace one does not order the construction of an ice palace one has an epic song number in which one spins and then magically constructs one i think a lot of serfs built it basically the same thing so you're saying the same thing okay so it was 80 feet by 33 feet long that's impressively large and so she did it for it's cited for numerous reasons like for her birthday and for the celebration of of the defeat of those terrible Ottomans. Boo. Actually, the Ottomans are cool as shit. Go read about them. <laughs> and they were also terrible, just like the Russians. Cool as shit and terrible. It's, we're going with a theme. And so, they recently had a war with the Ottomans. They won it. <laughs> Did you just scare quote without moving your hands? They signed a treaty. They pretty much gave all the lands back to Turkey that they had seized. But they were like, oh, we won. So, how, what does this have to do with our chicken? I'm getting there. I'm, okay, getting, there. I'm, I'm getting there. It's important just in the grand scheme of things because she was like, I won this. She didn't win anything. She had to give everything back. They signed a peace treaty. But it is important because it put them on that direction of being involved in European politics. Mm, I understand. It was an important point. I well, I wanted to say it. But anyway, it also is important because while this was a celebration of Russia's, quote, total victory over infidels, Oh, Christ. She was also going to have a mock wedding at this palace. Now, this palace was extremely detailed, had a bridal suite, had beds and pillows and clocks and trees with bird nests, all made of ice. Shut up. That's amazing. There was also a large elephant statue that sprayed something. One thing said water, one thing said fire. I Those don't know. These are kind of different. I know. You would and think you would fire think would, fire would, would, not, would it, right? not work. Yeah. yeah. But without a doubt, there was a guy there, and his job was to bellow the horn, so it sounded like the elephant would bellow. Oh, all my God. Surfs. Um, there was also 
Dude, there were worse jobs in Russia than blowing the elephant horn. There were fireplaces with logs of ice. There were ice cannons. What did they do? Did they work? Supposedly. What did they do? Fire like water, supposedly. And there were even like ice slippers made by the bed. I want to go. I want a chronovisor. I would sell my arm for a chronovisor to see this place. <laughs> well, you just wait. So she decided she was going to have a mock wedding at this ice palace. She would have Prince Mikkel, her favorite little jester. I have a feeling the chicken is about to re-enter in a magnificent fashion. Mary, her oldest and ugliest maid, a Kalmyk woman called Avdotya Ivanovna. Beautifully done, sir. Thank you. She kind of had them dressed in, like, clown attire. <laughs> and had them ride in on... A chicken. An elephant, because they were supposed to be... Ottomans? Yeah, they were, like, they were like, presented as a con. Oh, my God. And they were followed by a parade of undesirables. Are you shitting me? It's so bad. It's so bad. So after this forced wedding... Was there, like, a priest? Do they have a priest? I- um, was it another jester? They so she forced them to stay the night naked in the ice palace and with only their love to warm them. She is crazy. Right? She's crazy. She was the Tsarina of all the Russias and she's crazy. And so I can't. There are a lot of legends around kind of after this. So supposedly they made pearls, which I don't see why she would have pearls if she was a poor maid. Oh, I mean, it could have been a prop. But they wouldn't be real. But she supposedly like, gave it to a guard and bribed him to give her his coat. Other tales say they survived fine and true love wins. And they had twins. The oldest, ugliest maid had twins after conceiving in the ice palace. But she actually died of pneumonia a few days later. It's probably for the best. Sorry, that was just a story. So... We do have a, honest to God, real life, evil ice queen. Now, I do just want like, like two seconds to point out that she did do some positive things in Russia, not to just be completely negative. She did continue on the Academy of Sciences that was started by Peter the Great. Okay. She did kind of continue that westernization. Well, like, yeah, it's Which positive. could be the same as positive yeah. or negative. Stamping out folk culture. We do okay, love that. fine, yeah. fine. But I mean, opera. Opera, ballet. ballet. I mean, the amazing Russian opera and ballet that came out of this. She did some great architectural work besides like the, the ice palace. <laughs> like the ice palace, which melted. Including the Cathedral of St. Peter and Paul. Oh, oh, that is a beautiful, beautiful structure. And uh, she also like continued naval expansion, developed economy, continued to kind of developed that European ties and they became like, the biggest manufacturers of steel and things like that. So some, I don't want to be completely negative, but you know what? She crazy. She was, no, babe. No, you put a Z in there. She didn't, no, she cry. So you said you wanted to visit the Ice Palace. So much. Oh my God, so much. So they did rebuild it. Oh, when, when can we go? In 2006. Oh, so I still need the freaking chronovisor. It was done by... Our friend Putin. Mm. Hi, Vladimir. Thanks for listening. It's nice to know you're out there. You know, they allowed visitors in. Mm -hmm. You could pay a few bucks to go see it. There were huge lines. It was massively popular. And they even hosted weddings there. Oh, my God. Did you get to ride in on an elephant? I think that was extra. Okay. The elephant couldn't have fared well in the cold 
environment. I have a feeling the elephant died of pneumonia along with the maid. Well, I can think it was like, y'all obviously did not read what actually happened with the wedding in the ice palace. Like, why are you wanting to recreate this? Like, like that was such a sweet story. Let's do that. That inspires me. It just inspires me. Our love will last as long as theirs did. Four days? <laughs> So the Ice Palace was completely true to the original architectural renderings. Mm-hmm. Down to so the ice cannons, and there's a big elephant statue. And you can see these pictures online. We'll post them on the site. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. But there's one difference. What was the difference? In the bedroom. In the bedroom? Yes, yeah, so where Prince mm. Mikhail and the poor servant lady pretty much died is an effigy of Empress Anna. On a throne. What's it made of? What's well, made of ice? So while I will be eternally vexed by the trope of the ice queen and being called an ice queen, and I want that to be just a story, maybe, just maybe, as we sit there looking at the ice effigy of Anna, we have to concede that the ice queen is not just a story. Yeah, I think we've got one case where it's not just a story. Merry Christmas, happy holidays. We love you guys so much. See you in the new year. Society 13 Podcast Network. Redefining Podcasts. Society-13.com I like to listen. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.